Can you believe it has been two months since we recorded together? It's been a long time, and I missed you. Yeah, I miss doing this too. Not me? Like, me specifically? Okay. And you. No, of course, no. I wish everybody could see the expression you're making right now. <laughs> Hello, friends. I'm Renee. And I'm Anna. And you're listening to Fangirl Happy Hour. We're back, baby! After a very long two-month hiatus, Anna and I have returned to your ears. We have returned. We're back. And this is the first time ever that we are actually recording with video and seeing each other's faces while doing this. It's like Renee is like doing like a face. (laughs) Oh man, I wish we could just like show this to everybody, but maybe not. It's a secret. Yeah. So we're here to talk about some of the summer books that we're excited for, to discuss the state of the world, i.e. on fire, and to have a potentially very angry conversation about the book Empress of a Thousand Skies. Plus Rex, because we have to end it happy. Somehow. It is beginning to be the summer, and summer is sometimes a slow book season. It depends on what year it is, because I've had summers where a lot of books that I wanted to read came out, and then I've had years where June to July was nothing. And I was just like, well, I guess I'm going to read from my shelf. Well, it's because usually the big publishing months are spring and fall, right? Especially September and October, that's when the biggest releases of a year are slated to be published. I cheated. What did you do? On my list. In what way? We made a list of five books. I had six originally, and then Anna stole one of mine, so I took it off. Why would you do that? We don't need to mention it twice. We do, like, to make a point that we both really, 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 really want to to read that book. And I bet everybody will know what we're talking about immediately. Immediately. But we're not going to spoil it. If you know, if you think you know, just, you know, tell us on Twitter. So you're going to go first and tell me the five books that you're excited about for the summer. My first book is The Raven Stratagem by Yung Ha Lee. You have probably heard this podcast before. You know how much we both loved Nine Fox Gambit last year. It was one of my top, top 10 books. And this is the sequel companion novel. And I'm really excited for it. And it's actually out next week. I have a copy which I'm holding right here. And I'm probably going to read that next. And Renee is shaking his, her head and just going like, Ew, I hate you and I hate you. So I'm just like, I'm going to add this commentary about her reactions to my pics. You're welcome, guys. I pre-ordered it because I was excited. And unlike some people, I didn't get a review copy. Not sorry. It's fine. I have 800 other things to read anyway. I'm covered. So the next one is The Library of Fates by Aditi Korana. If you remember, she's the author of Mirror in the Sky, which we talked about on this very podcast. We didn't really like that book very much. But this new one, it's being described as a romantic coming-of-age fantasy with Indian fairy tale elements 
I think it's an LGBT romance and it's about going back in time. So it's like time travel, LGBT, Indian-inspired fantasy romance. I am going to give it a shot. That was also on my list. Not this list, but like my overarching 850 book long TBR. The next one is Dao Among the Sticks and Bones by Shauna Maguire. It's the sequel to Every Heart a Doorway, following a different character from the bunch of kids that appeared in that first novella. I really liked that one. I really want to see what she does with the character that appears in this one. That one is actually out next week, and I also have an ARC for that one. Renee is now shaking her head despondently. The next one is The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue by Mackenzie Lee. That one I saw the cover a couple of months ago, and I didn't like the look of it. I didn't even look into what it was about until a group of people that I really like on Twitter started talking about it, calling it queer as fuck. And it's about two friends in on their grand tour of Europe in the 18th century, and then there is magical artifacts, and then there are pirates, highwaymen, and then... The two guys who fall in love with each other. Okay, the final one on my list is the one that Renee had on hers, and then she removed it just because. And it's Buried Heart by Kate Elliott. Who's surprised? I loved Poison Blade last year, was one of my top 10. I just cannot wait to see how she ends this trilogy. I keep having to resist sending her DMs. I'm like, just send me the word file. <laughs> When is that one out? I forgot to make a note. It's in July. It's right around the corner. I don't have an ARC for that one. That's what you get for bragging about all your other ones. Your turn. Which books are you looking forward to in the summer? So I cheated a little bit because this book wasn't actually on my radar until recently. And it came out, but the way my library works, I have to wait for it. It's called Grace and the Fever by Zan Romanoff. And it's coming out from Knopf. Knopf. Is that how you pronounce that? I don't know. We're just going to go with it. It came out on May 16th, and it's about Grace, who is a fan of a band called Fever Dream. And when she was in middle school, her and everybody else were, like, super into this band. But everybody grows up, and she's the only one left that, like, is really super invested. And so many people were excited about this book, and I sort of picked up their hype. Uh, For example, Jitty from Reading the End. When Jenny gets excited about a book, I also tend to get excited about the book. Thanks, Jenny, for your excitement. My second one is Our Dark Duet by Victoria Schwab. It comes out on June 13th, 2017 from Green Willow Books. It's the sequel to The Savage Song, which I loved. I really, really identified with the main character, mostly because of her daddy issues. I was just like, ah, oh, Kate is me as a child. So I'm super excited to see where it goes. I st- I'm still mad at the end of that book did not contain full frontal nudity. <laughs> and I remember your review. <laughs> I'm hoping that Victoria Schwab corrects her mistake in the companion. Third is a romance novel, an MM romance. I guess you would call it Regency romance. It's like some kind of fantasy Regency period. And it's called The Ruin of a Rake by Cat Sebastian. I've read the first novel and the second I ran them out of order, but they were great. They were super fun. So the third one comes out on July 4th from Avon Impulse, which I guess is a romance publisher. Mm-hmm. Have you read the series yet? I have not, but I think we were going to read this one for the podcast. Did we commit to this? We just committed to it. Yeah. Just now. My fourth book is called Numenon by Marina Lost Tedder. 
It comes out on August 1st from Harper Voyager, and it's about a ship run by clones who are on their way to explore a mysterious star outside the solar system because they want to determine whether the star is real or if it's manufactured you know, like by aliens. I'm super excited about this book. I don't know what it's going to be like, and it's told in a series of vignettes. Really? That's what the blurb said. How did you not hear about this book? I don't know. That sounds amazing. Well, it's space opera, or at least space opera adjacent. So I've been like paying really close attention to books like that that are coming out so I can add them to my list so they don't get lost. And then my fifth book is a nonfiction title called The Cooking Gene, A Journey Through African-American Culinary History in the Old South. And it's by Michael W. Twitty. And Michael Twitty is a culinary historian. And he's black and he's Jewish and he knows so much about the food of the South, which is where I'm from. And it's a memoir of his exploration of his past and how it intersects with food. And I've been waiting on this book for a long ass time. A long time. Because when Beyonce released Formation and she talked about hot sauce, later we learned that hot sauce was a baseball bat, not actual hot sauce. But it works just both ways. Anyway, Beyonce's a genius. And when that line started getting pulled apart, a lot of black women started writing about the history of that line and what it meant and the history of food in the South. And I was so fascinated. I wanted to read more of that kind of commentary and criticism about culinary history in the South. And I couldn't relate about anything. So I was really excited to find Michael Twitty's book, and I'm really, really stoked to read it. That sounds fascinating. I don't know what the hot sauce in the bag is, so... Beyonce has a line in her song, I have hot sauce in my bag, swag. And in the South, having hot sauce in your bag means that you keep a bottle of hot sauce in your bag that you carry with you because you have no clue how the food is going to be prepared. If it's going to be like, quote unquote, right. So you have hot sauce in your bag to like make something that's really bland, not bland. I don't know if you've ever seen white people cook food, but for all the fact that we raise the world get gathering spices, we suck at seasoning our food sometimes. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had like baked chicken breast with nothing on it. But that was a staple of my childhood. It's a staple of, of British food, too. Ugh, why would you do this? It's, that poor chicken deserved better. Well, I am Brazilian. I don't have that problem. She later released a video as part of her little HBO special where hot sauce was a bat that she pulled out to like wreck cars. But it becomes like a double meaning, right? This is why I say Beyonce is a genius. And I saw white women do it too when I was growing up, but I mostly saw it in college where I had black women in my dorm and they would carry condiments in their bags to the cafeteria. Did you do the same thing? No, not really. I put ranch on everything. Ranch was always available. <laughs> yes, I'm a heathen, I realized, putting ranch on everything. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So those are my five books. They all sound really interesting. I have not heard of Grace and the Fever and Numenon before. Well, those are our books. And we want to know what books that you, lovely space bees, are looking forward to in the next two and a half months. What do you plan to read poolside or on the beach? Since apparently that is a thing that happens. Please wreck us the books you're looking forward to. We had a segment called Outside the Echo Chamber, but the Echo Chamber is on fire because everything's on fire in the world. Everything's on fire. We can't really bust our way through some media discussion without giving a nod to the way the world is 
imploding as a bunch of angry white men and women, actually, try to undo society. Okay, let's think about this. It's been two months since we recorded. In these two months, there has been two terrorist attacks in the UK, one terrorist attack in the US, multiple things happening with Donald Trump. He touched the orb. He talked trash about the mayor of London. He fired James Comey. And that feels like it was last year. That's the problem. Two months to 2017 feels like a thousand years. Yeah. Things that happened last week feel like, oh, that was just like, what? Really? It feels impossible. And then there was a leak just yesterday to The Intercept. And the name of the person who leaked the things from the NSA was Reality Winner. That was the name of the person. And that is just like, that blew my mind away because everything in 2017 is surreal. There's an election. In the UK, in two days from the time that we are recording this. We are recording this on June 6th. June 6th, 2017. So we have no clue what may have happened in the intervening days slash hours because things just explode and you can't keep up. I, I feel so sorry for anybody running like a political podcast because how can you keep up? You have to record pretty much every day. You have It has to be your job. But with that said, you just said that you, we don't know what may happen. I mean, anything can happen. I just hope that may doesn't happen. Well, France elected Macron. Yes, that's true. I called him Macaroon for way too long. No, I call him Macron. Macron. I can't do it. Macron. Listen, I'm, I'm a fucking American and I can't do vowels. Listen. Macron. He has become my hero. When they were walking toward each other and he was walking toward Donald Trump and then he swerved to shake Angela Merkel's hand first. And I'm just like, you and I are going to be friends. Booyah! And then all of his uh, like photos with him and Trudeau. It's like, Macron. He's like, Trudeau. Mon ami. Somebody on Twitter said that their photo op where they were walking around some city looked like a gay romance. And I'm like, you're not wrong. It's that moment of levity in the midst of all of this fire. And then Netflix canceled Sense8. Like on top of everything. It's not enough that the world is shit. Everything is going to hell. Donald Trump pulled out of fucking Paris Accord and then we are all gonna die. At least I had Sense8 to look forward to. And now I don't have that anymore. And then 13 Reasons Why, which I just finished watching, was so bad, so bad. And that got renewed. And that's another reason for me to just like, fuck everything. On the plus side, even though the president pulled out of the accord, a lot of governors and mayors, too, have been like, uh, I don't think so. Nice try, dude. But we're going to keep working toward this. A lot of companies as well, right? A lot of CEOs. The CEO of Macmillan, he issued a statement yesterday saying that this is a regrettable choice. And the worst thing for me, I don't even know what if there is one worst thing, but one of the worst things is that it's just how ignorant Donald Trump sounds when he explains his reasoning behind it. He said they can even get the weather right. Why would they get this right? And I was like, that is so stupid. That is so stupid. How did you guys elect this man? Because they've been waging a 30-year war on public education in the U.S. 
It all goes back to that, isn't it? To ignorance. I, yeah, I keep telling you, this has been going on for 30 years. This is not a new thing. Like, it just happened underneath our noses. This is why I'm just like, hey, guys, I uh, hope you are all thinking about running for local office, like school board, city council. Just in case you're thinking about being involved, you could do that. I have spent eight months trying to get in touch with the Craighead County Democrats. That's the Democratic group where I live. And I wrote up this timeline and I sent it to the state Democrats. And I'm just like, hey, I've been trying to get involved. And I've been lied to multiple times by the chair of this group saying we're going to have a meeting quote unquote soon. Listen, he's been saying we're going to be having a meeting soon since February and it is now June. And, like, the Democrats keep going, why did we lose? Why did we lose? Well, I have an idea. Maybe because your progressive rural voters have been abandoned. Like, you've abandoned us. And I'm sure this is not the only county that's having that problem. And I'm sure I'm not. this is not the only state that's having this problem. The Democrats are a mess. And I'm so sick of all the people going, oh, Hillary, shut up. Go away. You lost. Go away. Meanwhile, Bernie is, he lost too, but yet nobody's telling him to go away and shut up. And I'm just like, do you guys see how sexist you're being? Can you examine yourselves and look at your internalized sexism, please? Yeah, with looking at all of this and putting it all together and putting that into context, it just makes me feel very hopeless and I'm not optimistic that things will change soon. Well, on Thursday, you guys have an election. And on Thursday, James Comey, who was fired last month, even though it felt like it was last year, is testifying before Congress. Our president is apparently scheduling an event, a speaking event of some kind, during Comey's testimony because he hates being upstaged. But didn't he say today that he's going to tweet about it? I'm sure he will. But now there's a bot that will put all his statements in the form of a presidential statement. It's fantastic, isn't it? It just makes it sound even more stupid. On top of Portland, the the terrorist attack by the white supremacists there in Montana. I'm sure you heard about this. Everybody's heard about this, but it feels like it was 18 years ago. The Republican candidate for Congress there, Greg Gianforte, body slammed a reporter. Oh, yes, I saw that. In Iowa, the woman challenging Steve King for his seat, Kim Weaver, had to drop out because of death threats. And also, they threatened her job. And they were open in telling her that they threatened her job because she was running against Steve King. And these things just go... They're just out in the open. I can't really say that things were subtle before because obviously they weren't. Maybe they were for white people. But now it's out there for everybody to see and people just don't seem to care. The U.S. especially was founded on this horrible event where we enslaved human beings and treated them like chattel. And we've never faced it. I mean, I grew up in the South where, in school, the phrase, the War of Northern Aggression, was used, unironically, to teach us about the Civil War. Mm. Here in the South, we have Civil War monuments to the people who fought on the side of the Confederacy instead of monuments to the, to the actual United States soldiers, the Union soldiers, who were trying to uh, stop us from treating human beings like objects. Um, you see Alabama passed a law saying that you can't remove Confederate mon- monuments anymore. All of this is because we have refused to deal with the fact that we were founded on racist, bigoted principles. Like, we've refused to even face our past. Like, Germany 
they learn about their history and what they did. But we don't do that here. We bury it. We don't talk about it. Well, it's not only it's not even only slavery. It started before that with actual colonization and killing the indigenous tribes. Yep. And we have never dealt with the fact that our culture and our country exists because we did these things. And until we do, it's just going to keep festering. Like we talk about like the 1940s when we interred Japanese Americans and how like we say, oh, that can't happen again. Well, it's already happening again. ISIS is pulling people and detaining them. We talk about Jim Crow laws, but those exist still. We've just enshrined them in our criminal justice system. And so until we start pulling apart all these things that we did and how we perpetuated those things in different ways to the into the future, like this like it's gonna remain a trash fire. Donald Trump is not like the cause, he is the symptom. Absolutely. Whoever says that they are really surprised uh, at how things are right now in the United States because they wouldn't expect the land of the free to be like this, haven't been paying attention to your history, really. And until we get our act together. And I'm, when I say we, I mean white people. This is no longer the responsibility of marginalized people, black people, Latinx people. It's not their responsibility anymore. It's white people's problem. Like, we've got to fix it. And until so we see more white people who are progressive and open-minded and able to critique the past without feeling personally attacked in positions of power, it's just going to stay trash. And on fire. And on fire. Everything's on fire. On the plus side, now that we've discussed it, we've made the world aware that we know what's going on, and now we can just make this be a happy place again. Well, not really, because our next segment is going to be about a book that we both did not like. That's true. Well, in closing, I give the current state of world politics zero space space. Me too. Empress of a Thousand Skies by Rhoda Beliza is a YA space opera about a princess and a reality TV star. And I don't know how else to describe this book because there's too much going on and the blurb is a lie. The blurb is a lie because it tells that they are going to meet, right? And they never meet. Never. Even though the blurb says that they will. Yep. So that's problem number one. It's about a princess called Ri, and I'll tell you that I finished reading this book this morning, and I had to look it up just before recording this podcast to see her name, because I couldn't remember. That's how forgettable these characters are, unfortunately. She is the daughter of the Emperor of a Thousand Stars, I guess. In a galaxy far, far away, there are multiple planets and multiple races and multiple different peoples. And her entire family was killed and she's being brought up to be the Empress. But she also is plotting the revenge against someone whom she thinks has killed her entire family for reasons that we'd never know why she thinks that he has done those things. She just assumes because she never really bothered to try to find out. But she has been moved by revenge and she keeps like, I'm going to have my revenge. I'm going to have him. I'm going to kill this guy. And things don't go according to plan. 
Uh, on the other side, there's this guy called Ali. He's from the army and he is the equivalent of a person of color within this world, a race that people don't really like that much called the Ratons. And he was sent to a space station or a small spaceship with one of his best friends. And the two of them are filmed all the time. So they are reality show characters. And for some reason, the villain fakes the Empress's death and blames it on Ellie. I also don't understand how, because why would anyone believe that if he was being filmed 24-7? And then they, there's a lot of danger. Basically, every single character ends on a mini cliffhanger. They are not believable because you just know that they are not going to kill these two characters. So it's kind of like fake danger all the time. And there's a lot of concepts about the world building and name of planets and races and peoples that are just thrown out there without any context whatsoever. So it's also very confusing. And there is just the character's motivation is not very clear. It's a confusing mess. There's repetitive motivations. There are illogical jumps, clumsy transitions between scenes and characters. And at the end of the day, I think the biggest problem with this novel is that I just do not care about the characters at all. I can let books get away with pretty much almost everything if I really deeply care about characters and their development and their arcs. And I think because it's just so clumsily done, you you don't really get to know these characters that well because they get trapped in a loop inside their own heads and she just goes... I'll have my revenge. I'll have my revenge. That's the only thing that moves her in a way. I don't know. I just didn't like this book at all. I finished it, but I skimmed liberally, especially the last 30%. I did not finish this book. I quit. I was like, I'm done. I cannot. I think this is maybe the first book that we've read for the show that I have just been like, I'm out. I cannot get through this. The problem is that there is a good book in this mess. There is a really good book here, but it was too overstuffed with other things. And the fact that these characters don't meet, I think, is one of the big problems. It's obviously set up for a sequel. I've already seen that there's a sequel, uh, which I will not be reading. No, thank you. What you said about context is really relevant here because we don't have any knowledge of this world. And when you're going to write a space opera, you kind of have to take that time to root the reader in your world and introduce the anchor character that they're going to follow so they can know how to move through the world. And in this case, we have two anchor characters that never meet. So they're so we're getting all this cultural stuff tossed at us with like no reference point. And so it's really hard to invest, especially when you're just like, oh, wait, this is a weird alien name. What does this mean? Or, oh, this is a place name. Did, do I recognize this place name? Where are they? Like, there's no, you don't have an, there's no anchor for the reader. I just needed a way less world building attempts. This is the weird thing, right? Because I felt like that too. At the same time, it needed more world building because we needed more context. So, and I also made a note that says, this book simultaneously happened too fast, but also not fast enough. So we have all sorts of conflicting feelings. Too much world building, not enough world building. Too fast, not fast enough. So what gives? For me with the world building, it's that it was using 
new planets, new cultures, new references to build the world. Instead of actually doing world building, instead of building the world up around the character, it just tossed the character into like a tunnel where it could just fling different world building elements at the character instead of actually building a world. So you have all this morass of world building elements that don't hang together, don't ever relate to each other in any significant way and therefore don't develop the plot or relate to the characters themselves and it just becomes a big mess. They needed more world building that was less intense instead of just trying to throw every single piece of new world building at the characters. The other problem for me, it wasn't a character driven novel, it was a plot driven one. Sometimes that is okay, But I felt like in here, things happen to the characters and put them in situations and they never did anything out of agency. So they never moved the plot along by themselves. It was always the plot doing something to them. And that felt really contrived. It didn't work. It just didn't work. Yeah, exactly. So people tried to kill them, then explosions, and they were kidnapped. So they never made this conscious decisions of going to a place or doing something. And now for spoilers for anybody who plans to read this book. A little bit over halfway through, right before I quit, I realized that the big surprise twist was that the main character's sister, who she thought had died in an explosion, an assassination attempt or whatever, was alive. And she's the actual empress because she was the oldest one. She doesn't meet her. Allie meets her. And I don't really know what happens because, like I said, I quit. Romance happens. Insta-love. And then at the end of the book, we get, like, an epilogue from her perspective where she suddenly realizes, oh, I'm the assumed dead princess. It's me. And, you know, like, when I say there is an interesting idea in this book, there's a good book here. We get rid of Allie completely. Sorry, dude. Goodbye. And make it about the sisters and their journey. And that would have been a great book. I don't understand why there is no need for ali unless you need a focal character to empathize with racism also this book was so heteronormative i'm really really tired of these far future space operas being so damn straight like we're still doing this gender binary thing in the future too this whole show that Allie and his friend Vin are a part of called the Revolutionary Boys. Multiple times Allie talks about, oh, Vin gets a lot of girls. Oh, girls fawn over me. Why are we still doing this? Why, if you're going to write a far future space opera, are you centering heteronormity this way? Like, why are you doing that? Stop it. You don't have to gender it. It doesn't have to be just girls. It could be any gender. And it taught, like, every time it happened, I'm just like, oh, okay, I'm tossed out. I gotta go back in. There were a couple of things that I really thought were interesting. So this book had an element of connection and information feeding and memory twisting because everybody was connected to cubes. They were called cubes. I'm not even sure what they were exactly. But for example, the cube that each person had would feed information to them, would relay memories would replay favorite memories for example so at one point those two characters they were cut off from this because they were fugitives 
in those moments, what they called organic memories would come to the surface and that would cause suffering, for example, in the case of Free, because she would have, she would remember things that she preferred not to remember. It was like post-traumatic stress. Yes, exactly. So that element of the book was so interesting. So imagine removing Allie, getting the two sisters at the main characters and all about them finding their memories of each other without the cube. What a story. And it's not even that she would have to get rid of Ali. He would just need to be a minor character. Yeah, but I guess sometimes YA still feels like it needs the dual boy-girl narrative. And don't get me wrong, I we're talking about this, and I'm thinking about the Illuminae Files, Illuminae and Gemini, they are both space operas with male-female narratives. And we both love it. Yeah, but those books, they invest in their characters. They really want you to know and understand those characters. It's like you said, in this book, the characters are like set dressing for the world-building extravaganza that's happening in this book. Their characters are almost incidental to what this book is actually doing. So this is a space opera with the lost princess. And you know what I'm going to say, what this book really liked were space bees and space roller skating railroads. Sadly, I'm not even sure that could have have improved this book for me. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. (laughs) You said that this was a package book. Because I said, oh, it was published by Razor Bell. I should have known because... Razorbell and I don't get along. Back when I was reading YA pretty widely, I would read a Razorbell book and I'd be like, ugh, no. I just think I don't like their mm. editorial perspective, so I'm just not into the, a lot of the books they published, which is fine. But then you were like, oh, but this is also a package company. And I was like, what the hell is a package company? And you got to teach me some new things, Anna. Teach everybody new things. Go ahead. A package company is basically a practice that has existed for a long time in publishing, and it's based on literary companies that develop an idea, and then they hire writers to develop those ideas for them, and then they sell. Usually they work together with the writers. Um, They function almost like agents sometimes. And then... The, the the packaging company would be the one selling the books to publishers. And in a lot of cases, they are the ones who own the copyright. So if you go to the copyright page of those packaged books, it would be the packaging company rather than the author. And in most cases, the authors would publish those packaged books under a pseudonym because then they would go on to have their own careers. I don't necessarily see this as a bad thing because I think sometimes we forget that publishing is a business and people need to live and sell books. So most packaging companies, they will be very attuned to what sells in certain sides of YA and they would target the books to what is selling at that point. They They do a really good job at knowing what will sell. So, for example, Paper Lantern Lit, which is the packaging company for this particular book, it's very famous within publishing. It's owned by Lauren Oliver, who is a very well-established YA author, and a group of other writers who run it. And they have sold to tremendous success every single book that they have developed. And I have liked a lot of them. Until now. 
until this one. So sometimes it just just doesn't work. It could be a good idea, but sometimes the idea and the writer don't match. So I don't know what happened here. My favorite package books were apparently Nancy Drew. I read Nancy Drew in these like hardcover editions back in like the 80s and early 90s, and I ate them up. They were amazing. So it probably means that a lot of those books were written by different authors. That's what happens sometimes. I think James Patterson, he releases a book a year or something like that. I think his books are are packaged or he has ghostwriters with something similar. I actually went to a party at Lauren Oliver's Brooklyn rooftop flat <laughs> a few years ago at one of the BEA that I attended. And I met quite a few people that worked at Paper Lantern Lit including the author of one of my favorite books that they published, Fury by Elizabeth Miles. So it was really interesting to talk to them about about the author's perspective because it's so hard to get inside the business. And there is a really good foot at the door because you sell through one of those and then you have something in your bag. So see that book that I sold through that book packaging, I wrote that and it actually sold gazillions even though they probably won't have seen a lot of that money because they don't own all of the copyright. But, you know, it's a good take on their CVs. I would never do it. Why? Because you don't want you want you don't want to write to a prompt. You don't want to give out your full rights to a book. Why why would you not both? I understand why people do it, but I don't think it would be right for me. Normally I have a lot of trouble writing, period. So the idea of trying to like write to a prompt that I like I didn't come up with. I just really don't know how I would do it and have the book be good. It makes me feel like I would turn in like a motionless product. But don't you do that in fanfiction? It's different in fanfic. Don't you write but don't you write to prompts? Very rarely do I do gift exchanges anymore. I was I was better at it when I was younger. Very rarely, rarely do I do it these days. I don't think I've done it in like over five years. It's always this really horrible, like, what if they hate it process. So generally now, if I do it, I will discuss a prompt with a friend who I already know likes my writing. So, but, but the idea is that, right? Yeah. I mean, I get it. I'm not saying it's a bad practice. People got to make money. That's how it is. I'm just saying I probably couldn't do it for myself. I would be too self-conscious. I would probably turn out a really self-conscious product. You linked me to an article about this practice, and I read it, and they said, like, a lot of these books go on to become movies because they try to, like, expand into all the markets possible to make the most amount of money. And I was thinking about that in the light of this book. Like, if you took this book and made it into a screenplay, you could take all that excess world building and just turn it into visuals, and it would work, like, 3,000 times better. It would work way better as, like, a visual experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, I'm wondering if that's on purpose. I think it might, it could well be. I think that's definitely part of this process, which is to sell as many rights as possible within that contract. And that includes TV and movie rights. I think it, it just needs to be made more appealing to all different sides. And in many ways, it needs to fit certain tropes. Ah, uh, well, I'm giving this book zero space fees. Oh my god. <laughs> That's a first. Is it? Have I never given anything zero space space before? I don't remember. But yes, this book is getting zero space space. I'm sorry. I don't have the guts to do that. You gave, didn't you give Ghostbusters like zero space space? Well, Ghostbusters was terrible. 
I mean, I'm not saying this book wasn't, but I think there were elements that I really liked about it that had a lot of potential. So I guess one, two, maybe even. I feel really bad. <laughs> I try not to feel bad. Like, I'm sure some kid somewhere is going to read this book and be like, Space Opera, heck yeah, I'm in! It's going to be like a gateway book. That's great for that kid. I saw a review on Goodreads about a person saying, it sounded like a very young person saying that science fiction wasn't for her because this was like the second or third science fiction book that they didn't like. I was like, no, baby, this is just a really terrible example. (laughs) (laughs) This one didn't work out very well, but you're still going to continue helping me in my space opera challenge. So you chose this one. So you're going to have to look at my list and choose another one for the future. Okay, baby. Now we're going to get happy again and do some recommendations. Anna, what you got for us? I have a delightful contemporary YA romance called When Dipple Met Richie by Sandia Menon. I hope I have said that name right. And it's fantastic. It's romantic. It's hilarious. Heartwarming. Beautiful. And I haven't read romance in a really long time. And I have been beating myself up for it because this made me really, really happy. You should really read it. I think you would love it. What about you? What do you have as a recommendation? I have two. What? How dare you? We are back to the same old tricks. I'm ashamed, but I still have two. My first one is All Systems Red by Martha Wells, which is a novella from Tor about a murderbot who is protecting some scientists on a planet. It is so good and bittersweet and funny and optimistic. And the ending is so awesome. I loved this novella so much. Robot pal! Me too. And hands down, the best narrative voice I've read in a long, long time. Agreed. Somebody had a thread on Twitter calling this narrative style really intimate and... I agree that it's just something you don't see often. This tone of the narrator. I just fell in love. Me too. 8,000 space bees. I would say that when people met Rishi, All Systems Read and All the Hate You Give are my top three novels slash novellas of the year so far. My second rec is not for a piece of media, but instead for an event. At the end of May, I went to Wiscon 41 with my friends KJ and Ira. Wiscon is in Madison, Wisconsin, and it is a feminist science fiction and fantasy convention. They keep it pretty small. They cap it at a thousand members. It was super fun. I had such a great time at this this convention. They have all these really great panels, and everybody is so smart and well-spoken. And I love all their policies. Like, they have a no video photography without permission policy that I was so thankful for. And it was just so warm and friendly and inviting. And I got to meet Amal El-Motar, who was so lovely. Ah, she's so wonderful, guys. She's so wonderful. If you ever get a chance to meet Amal, please, please do. And then I also got to very briefly meet Kelly Sudakonic in the signing line. Yeah, because she was the other guest of honor. 
her at That's a mouth. amazing. She gave such great speeches. She did this one essay from some book where she wrote about her AA sponsor and God, everybody was in tears. <laughs> and Amal read from an anthology called The Jen Falls in Love and Other Stories. And she read her short piece from there, which is like about immigration and colonialism. And it was so good. I definitely recommend that anthology. I've read several of the story in it, stories in it so far. It's great. Highly recommended. Is that the one that Jared did it? Jared and Mavesh. It's really good. But yeah, WizCon was wonderful. Like all conventions, it like had ups and downs. And I was really new, so I didn't really get all the rules and the social interactions, I guess. But I really hope to go back. It was lovely. And I learned that anybody, anybody, not just people who attend the convention, can suggest guests of honor. That's really interesting, though. The guests of honor next year are Saladin Ahmed and Tanane Redu. So right now we're nominating people for Wisconsin 43. So if you have any suggestions for guests of honor, you can send them to the email address on the Wisconsin site. But yeah, I really want to go back next year. Wisconsin was great and I loved it. I had such a great time. The hotel was wonderful. Everybody was super nice. It was just a great convention for somebody with like my social anxiety because Worldcon was a little overwhelming. So I'm hopeful that I'll get to go back next year. The reason that I got to go to Wiscon this year was because KJ was super nice and let me come with her. And I would not have been able to go to the convention without her. And so I really, really appreciate her taking me with her and being patient with me. And I need to just give her a little shout out. KJ! For being such a great pal. And those are my recs. I hope to go to Wiscon one day too. So normally here, we put what we're going to discuss next time. What are we going to discuss next time? But because I was not prepared, I did not include this in our outline of the episode. I think we agreed that we were going to discuss another castle. Oh, yes. So that's probably what we're going to be discussing next time. And please excuse us as we get back on the horse of podcasting. We're a little bit rusty, aren't we? I mean, I think we did pretty well. Yeah, we did great. Next time... The media we'll be discussing is another castle. I forget who it's by, which is perfect. Don't worry, Anna's going to look it up. Andrew Wheeler. And Paulina Danusho. So Anna took care of me. And we'll be limiting our media segments until we can both get back up to speed. Be prepared for a few less media segments. On the plus side, that means you'll have plenty of time to catch up with the other things that we've read in the past. All zillion of them. end of episode 84 and our triumphant return thank you so much for being patient with us space bees and we are so happy to be back our music this week is by foxcat games and Chucky beats our show art is by era our transcripts are by susan the transcription fairy you can find links to all of their work in our show notes plus information about the media we discussed Follow us on Twitter at Fangirl Podcast. Our email is fangirlhappyhour at gmail.com and you can write to us at any time. If you like the show, tell a friend, share our show on your favorite social media, give us some stars on iTunes or support us on Patreon. Remember to drink some water and contact your reps. 
And if you think you might be an empress of a thousand stars, please be sure to find a space where woke to call your own. Thanks for listening, Spaceies. See you next episode. Bye. that we will be laughing more now that we can see each other's faces <laughs> don't make faces at me <laughs> I already like I know you I know your type you'd be like <laughs> did you just do the did you just pull did you just pull a full house did you just go cut it out on screen the gentleman's guide to vice and beauty <laughs> These questions are not very long, she says, and then we have another hour of recording. Okay, that's what I mean. Like, listen, let's be realistic. <laughs> <laughs>